Hello, and welcome on in for the first supplemental episode of Dogs in Autumn, the history of American football. I'm happy to be here, and of course, very happy to have you here as well. This will be my first supplemental episode. I'm not exactly sure how I want to handle episodes like these because I generally want to stick to a chronological recounting of history, but that doesn't always make sense for certain topics. I also don't want to work backwards and drop an episode covering something from, say, 1869 in the middle of a series that's progressed into the 1920s. So for now, I'll just play it by ear, and you can let me know what you think. Speaking of 1869, that's where we are today. The Civil War is only four years behind us, Reconstruction is still in full swing in the formerly rebellious southern states, and a group of students from Princeton University have taken to a field in New Jersey against a squad from Rutgers. They don't know it, but they're about to play the very first official game of American football. The reason they don't know it is because, as I've mentioned elsewhere, a variety of football games have been circulating among the Northeastern universities in the United States since at least the 1820s. That this one became officially the first is a little arbitrary. As an interesting aside, the United States Soccer Federation, which if you don't know is the U.S. arm of FIFA, also claims this matchup is the first game of intercollegiate soccer in the United States. If this one game in 1869 had become the model for the future, American football would have become a kicking game. At the time, the standard practice for football teams in the U.S. was the same as it had been for England before the formation of the Football Association in 1863. That is, you played by the home team's rules. The game was held at Rutgers, so they played by Rutgers rules, and Rutgers rules were based on the Football Association rules. So in this sense, U.S. soccer isn't wrong. It looks like the first game of American football was actually a soccer game. I'll give the rest of the global community a moment to savor or ignore that fact as they see fit. But not long after, a group of Canadians would change the direction of football for all of North America permanently. McGill University and its version of rugby are for another episode, so for now we're still in 1869 in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Even if the first football game was actually in some sense a soccer game, let the record show that it was a version of soccer that would have been unrecognizable to Mbappe. The game, which they called a match, was played in 10 rounds, which they called games. A round came to an end when a team scored, and the winner was the team that with the most goals at the end of 10 rounds, so first to six. Rutgers wound up winning six to four. Just reading the tone of some of the surviving commentary, it seems like this was received as an upset, but being as this was the quote, first football game, it's hard to know if that's because the Princeton athletes were considered especially good, or if it's just because they were overall larger, something that isn't in doubt and is ubiquitous in all coverage from the game. A report in the Rutgers undergraduate newspaper from the time hints at a couple of reasons their side managed to pull off the upset though. It seems that while the Princeton players were by all accounts the superior athletes visually, they didn't play very well together as a team and weren't accustomed to a kicking code. This holds up some. As I said, at this point in history, you played by the rules of the home team. And this first game was only the first half of a home-and-home. -home. A week later, the Rutgers players traveler, traveled to Princeton and played under Princeton rules, where they lost 8 to nothing. Whatever Princeton's rules were, they clearly weren't something the Rutger player, Rutgers players were suited for. It's easy to imagine it that way, though, as a fluky sort of upset, considering where the next 40 years of Princeton football is headed versus the next 150 years for Rutgers. 
One will go on to become one of college football's first dynastic powers along with Yale, establishing a decades-long period of otherwise peerless dominance and becoming so synonymous with the sport in its earliest phases that they lent their Tigers nickname to countless colleges across the country. The other is Rutgers. But for this one day in 1869, the game was played on Rutgers' terms, bizarre as they may look to anyone today. In addition to the weird structure of rounds, these teams were massive. 25 men took the field per squad. Of these, 11 were more or less permanently on defense, and there appears to have been no dedicated goalkeeper. The remaining 14 were on offense, with two of those 14 offensive players serving in a forward position, similar to modern strikers in soccer. Both teams made use of the flying wedge formation, which will become an extremely contentious tactic in the coming years, and lead to some of American football's earliest changes designed specifically to get, make the game safer for players. The only other thing of interest about this unlikely inauguration is that it also features one of the first uses of school colors for college athletics. To distinguish themselves from Princeton visually, the Rutgers players wore scarlet handkerchiefs and head wraps. And this and from this first use of Scarlet, Rutgers gets their present-day nickname, the Scarlet Knights. Aside from that, this two-game season split right down the middle, simply serves as a strange, arbitrary placeholder. A signpost to let us know we're on the right road, we just have to keep driving. We get one more supplementary episode coming before the next full season. In honor of Kansas City, the magical Pat Mahomes, and the official beginning of the worst stretch of the football calendar we're going to take a quick look at the history of the Super Bowl. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then.